Thank you guys for leading us. Thanks for such good singing, too, by the way. And good morning. Hope you're doing well. Um, I want to jump right in this morning. Last week, we were introduced to a parable in Mark chapter 4, in the first verses there, um, that Jesus taught the multitude. And it had been an incredibly long and taxing day. You ever have one of those days, right? Jesus had received opposition from the religious leaders. He's received opposition from his own family. He's taught in front of crowds. He's healed. Um, but this, the crowds in which he had taught, before which he had taught, had grown so large that he makes his way out to the seashore, gets into a boat, pushes off from the shore, and he teaches from there so that he can be heard and his voice can be carried from the water. As we looked last week, he taught the crowd through parables. And he did so so that truth might be revealed to those who had ears to hear and concealed from those who had rejected him. Revealed and concealed. So this morning, by way of three more very brief parables, we'll learn some lessons, some additional lessons about the kingdom, as well as one big lesson about the one who ushered in that kingdom. Um, so I'm looking forward to jumping into this pretty large passage. We'll make our way pretty timely through it with two big primary points. The first being lessons about the kingdom. Lessons about the kingdom. If you'll begin to prepare your eyes to look down at verses 21 to 25, this first parable was about the lamp under a basket. The lamp under a basket. And that really is the next parable that Jesus presents. Um, this, and it has as its subject a lamp. But this is no ordinary oil lamp that Jesus is talking about. Notice with me at verse 21. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone who has ears to hear, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. The purpose of a lamp is to illuminate. Shan loves candles. She would have candles all throughout her house and in every room, but you take, you put a lid on a candle and the candle goes out. You put a lit candle underneath the bed and the bed catches on fire. Such a light that Jesus is describing is not meant to be covered it's meant for the stand, so that it can cast light as far as possible. So Jesus asked this, what amounts to a rhetorical question, right? Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket, or under a bed and not on a stand? In the Greek, the lamp, the basket, and the bed are all set apart by using a definite article. And what that means to us is that instead of reading uh, or referring to a lamp... Jesus is actually, put a the there instead of the word a. 
Jesus is speaking about the lamp. Why? Because Jesus is the lamp. In John chapter 8, verse 12, John records these words of Jesus, and he says it this way, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Isaiah had also prophesied about a darkness, a people in darkness, and the coming of a great light. And he said this, The people who walked in darkness, they have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. And you and I know that the world existed and lived in a great and deep darkness ever since Adam and Eve ushered in sin. And with that came the consequences of spiritual death and separation from God. All the world knew was a deep, penetrating darkness. For those in a great storm, the only source for a great calm is the manifestation of a great light. The gospel of the kingdom was always intended to be good news for the nations. Genesis chapter 12 made this abundantly clear. God had told Abram that he would be blessed so that through him, and here's the language of Genesis 12, all the families of the earth would be blessed. So from Abram would come a child of promise whose name was Isaac, and through Isaac, eventually would come the ultimate child of promise, the Savior that would bring light to a world darkened by sin, and thus salvation to the nations, or as language Genesis 12 uses, all the families of the earth. So, what in the world is Jesus talking about here in this first parable other than candles need to be on a stand? I mean, he's talking about lamps hidden under baskets, things that are hidden so as to be made manifest, something that was at one time a secret so as to come to light. Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, a verse that many of you probably have memorized. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. And then notice the order that he uses. To everyone who believes, the Jew first, and also to the Greek. The gospel was presented and intended for the Jew first. But as we've already seen in Mark's first chapters, to include the first portion of chapter 4, most Jews within the land rejected Christ as the Messiah, as had been the case of the Old Testament people of Israel, of rejecting God's direction and walking in obedience consistently. And as a result, the light of the gospel was not revealed to many of them, right? The truth behind parables remained hidden and secret to the vast majority but it would not remain that way. Israel's rejection of the truth of the gospel during Jesus' day was all part of God's big plan for His story of redemption to be unfold. And it had been His plan from the very beginning. So that 
through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. By God's grace, and this is, this is just one more evidence that His thoughts are not our thoughts and His ways are not our ways. But by God's grace, that which was initially both rejected and hidden eventually was to serve as the vehicle through which the families of the earth would receive the great light of the gospel. Recipients of the light are not to hide the good news under a basket, but they're to fill such a basket and then use it to share it liberally as they share the gospel, figuratively speaking, right? So notice the passage. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Here's a takeaway for us. By the measure we manifest Jesus as believers, recipients of the light, He will manifest His glory in us. The more we do, the more of His glory will be manifested in and through us. Second parable that we are encountering here begins at verse 26. Another brief one. I will add that these four parables combine. The one we looked at last week, and the three we're glancing at this morning are, are the only uh, highlight of Jesus' teaching that Mark includes until the latter part of the book. So what he does is he condenses teachings of Jesus in the beginning and at the end of the book. And we're, we're jumping in the middle of what he would have taught that Mark would have presented by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Verses 26 to 29, second parable. The growth of a seed. Follow along with me in your copy of the word. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. The key to understanding this brief parable is found in the words, he knows not how. Here we have another lesson of Jesus uh, regarding seeds. This time, however, it's not the soil that's on display as it was last week, but it's the miracle of growth. Jesus is teaching that this is how the kingdom of God, and, and faith subsequently, right? But Jesus is teaching us that this is how the kingdom of God works. Consider this. It, it starts small, and it grows miraculously. According to Jesus' parable, right? What we've just read. The farmer scatters his seed, and then he goes to bed, and he wakes up day after day until... The seed sprouts and then continues to develop and continues to grow. And how this happens technically is a mystery to the farmer. In other words, the language, he knows not how. 
Given what we saw last week in the parable of the soils and the sower and the seed, the tie-in and the application is, is clear here, right? We, you and I, like the farmer and the sower, we cast the seed of the word and the gospel with hopes that the things we say rooted in the word and the things that we do might be used miraculously as a seed that goes and implants and grows to harvest. This is the confidence of the preacher who stands behind the desk and holds the word of God and he speaks forth the word, not his opinion, but with confidence that how is that rooting in the hearts of people? He knows not how. But he trusts the power of the word, right? In all of us. We sow, not just the preacher, but all of us who are engaged in gospel conversations with our kids and our neighbors and our co-workers and our schoolmates. But God cultivates and God reaps according to His purposes in His timing and for His own glory. We must have confidence in the Word, the seed, but equally important in God to do what only God can do with that seed. The farmer sows, he goes to bed. He wakes up, he goes throughout his day. He goes to bed, goes throughout his day. Goes to bed, and then the seed sprouts. He knows not how. You guys know that a team of us from our church is spending every Tuesday afternoon um, at Boynton Elementary, and we've, we've got um, probably... 70 of the most well-behaved children in the county sitting in our room begging us to teach us in every second and every moment of that hour. They actually begin to sit on their floor and just chant to us, teach us, O great ones, teach us. (laughs) Nothing could be farther from the truth. But we're having a great time with them. This past Tuesday, um, I'm not... Normally the one who teaches, but I was teaching that morning and, and we're teaching through this little wordless book. There, there's Each page of a wordless book has, is represented by a color, right? A, a gold page and a dark page and a red page. And you can imagine what subject is correlating with each of those colors. And it, I had the pleasure of talking through the red page. And I'm talking to the kids about Jesus' life and and they're talking and wrestling on the floor and all this kind of stuff. And hey, hey, buddy, we may not want to. We may not want to wrestle right this second. Okay, let's keep going. And and all of a sudden, a screen behind me, which is PowerPoint pictures of what we're talking about, comes up. And it's a all these are kind of cartoons. So it was it was graphic to a certain extent, but not real graphic, right? But it was Jesus up on the cross. And I was blown away by the sense of silence that was just pervasive throughout the room. And what was typically talk, 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 talk went just like this. And for about, I'm going to say 65 seconds, which compared to our experience was like an eternity, I had some silence to talk about what's going on. And, and I don't know what the Lord is doing with those seeds of the gospel but I have confidence that He's going to do in the lives of little people with the truth of God's Word what He's going to do. He knows not how. And I'm the He, right? But we have confidence to that end. And I thank you for those of you who are praying 
while that day is going on. In faith, we trust God to do His work with His seed that we share. Commentator James Edwards stressed that we are to have faith, you and I are to have faith to do this, to sleep and rise in humble confidence that God has invaded this troubled and darkened world, not with a crusade, but with a seed. A seed that He will cause to grow into a fruitful harvest. Now let's look together at the last of these three parables and kind of put them all together in these lessons of the kingdom. The last is the smallness of a seed. The smallness of a seed. We'll see it in verses 30 to 34. Let me tell you what you will not find in the pages of Scripture. You won't find what I'm about to say. The kingdom of God is like the vastness of the Grand Canyon, whose sheer peaks reach to the sky and whose depths seem to plummet to the core of the earth. I admit some recency bias having just returned there a couple weeks ago. But i got to tell you that the magnitude of that statement relating to the kingdom of God, it just seems kind of fitting to me, especially having just seen that grandeur, right? But this is not the lead-in that Jesus used. In fact, he said the kingdom of God is like the tiniest of seeds. Notice exactly what he said in verse 30. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes large, larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches, branches so that the birds of the air can make nest in its shade. And the parable ends, but I'm going to add the next two verses here. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. Keywords. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. So this final parable, it, it presents us with a contrast between what started as a very, very small seed, yet grew into something large enough to offer the birds of the garden a place to make um, with their nesting birds to have uh, rest and shade and shelter. The same was true of the kingdom of God. Think back with me. A bigger picture here regarding the kingdom of God, right? And humble beginnings. The one who started human life in a lowly manger and taught as the son of a carpenter from Nazareth would eventually have bestowed upon him and Paul writes these words in Philippians chapter 2, the name that is above all names, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One of the absolute most insignificant beginnings, invisible to human eyes, God, with, with that beginning, God is ushering in His kingdom, which according to His promise, would embrace all the peoples of the earth. And I point this out, and it's just one of those 
capstone lessons of the kingdom for you and I this morning. Let this encourage you in your desire and resolve to cast your bread upon the water, or as the language of our parables say, shine your light into the darkness. Although your faith may be as small as a mustard seed, trust that God works with small seeds and transforms them by His grace into fruitful harvest. And remember the words of Jesus. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. Occasionally I'll come across some memes, and oftentimes they're from one of, these, one of the people in this room. I won't name names. They're funny. But I, I came across one the other day. It said this, and clearly an inside joke for people who have read their Bible. It said, I have a mustard seed, and I'm not afraid to use it. But I would encourage you. Your faith is not in your ability. Your faith is not in how long you've been a believer. Your faith is not in how many people you've led to Jesus. Your faith is in Jesus. Your faith is in His Word to accomplish what He is setting it forth to and it will not return void without accomplishing that. Listen, as the things that we've looked at, this is no ordinary lamp. This is no ordinary process of growth that God is working in His people and transforming them from the inside out by the renewing of their minds. This is no ordinary seed. And this is no ordinary kingdom. And what I want to close with is this last story that will reveal and help us to exalt Jesus. This is no ordinary man. This is no ordinary man. Look with me at verses 35 to 41 now. As we consider a lesson about the shepherd. As I've already said, it has been an incredibly long day of ministry for Jesus. It had been exhausting. I don't know if you've ever been so physically exhausted that you can just kind of nod off and doze right where you are. Did my basic training, Army basic training in Fort Seal, Oklahoma, and one of the guys who was there, last name was Royer. I'll never forget that, and I'll never forget this day. We were in that nice, cool, moderate summer temperatures of Fort Seal, Oklahoma, where it never gets above, again, stretching the truth. It was quite hot. We're out there in formation, and it had been the end of a long, long week where they thought it would be good for us not to sleep but a couple nights a week, a couple hours a week. And Royer, he nodded off, standing there. And we're standing in formation, waiting, 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 and they're doing whatever they're doing. And Royer, a couple folks down from me, just kind of, his eyes are closed while he's standing here. He's beginning to kind of do this a little bit. And the drill sergeant thought it would be fun. We've got these helmets on, right? And he walks up to him and bonks him right on the front of that helmet and wakes him up. And it was one of the few moments of levity that we were all given permission to laugh and kind of have a little loose moment there. But he was so tired that he just dozed off. Imagine, if you will, on a much grander scale, the exhaustion of Jesus. This is the only time that we see that Jesus actually is asleep 
in the New Testament narratives. But I've told you about his day. They started early. Crowds are awaiting him. Ministry happens. Arguments are building on top of each other. Opposition, opposition, more teaching, more teaching. We're crowded here. Let's go somewhere else to the shoreline in a boat, push off from the water. Continues to teach, continues to explain to his disciples, has another round of teaching in the evening. On that day when evening came is how verse 35 starts. Well into that evening, finished with his teaching, he was almost finished with this day. I say he was almost finished because there was still one more lesson for him to teach and for the disciples there was one more lesson for them to learn. And this lesson is not just for the disciples, but it's for us. So the day is about to reach its crescendo, but not before there's going to be, and these words are pretty emphatically seen in our text, not before there's a great storm, a great calm, and a great fear. I don't sign up for storms, the storms of life. But I need them. Let me just confess that to you one more time. I don't sign up for the storms of life. But I need them. I need them because through them, God continues to work His kingdom into my heart. And He continues to transform the the tiniest seed-sized faith into, Lord willing, an ever-growing faith. I need them because too many times in the midst of the storms of life, I'm still not convinced that my good shepherd is present and leading me through for my good and for his glory. Notice our passage. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with him in the boat Just as he was. Consider his worn out state. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat. So that the boat was already filling. Storms on this lake. The Sea of Galilee were. They they came with no advanced warning. The lake is positioned in between hills. Almost a gauntlet of hills around it. And the, stri- the jet streams of air, whether they're coming off of uh, the sea or coming from the desert, one way or another, they're, they're, they're prone to cause squalls and strong storms that can come in an is- instance. And this is no doubt what happened. The language of this, this great windstorm in the Greek, it's actually the word for an earthquake. It's not an earthquake, but Mark is saying this is huge, Right? And a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat is already filling up. Notice verse 38. The word that begins the sentence is this. But he was in the stern. Asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And I say this pretty calmly as I read it to you. I don't know if they're shaking him violently and say, Teacher, don't you care? I guess it's the latter more than the former. But nonetheless, they're asking, Don't you care? 
As Mark has mentioned, today is our, two, our church's two-year anniversary. And I'm mindful, though we're celebrating many things that God has done in our midst, there's also been some other sides of, and evidences of all of our lives. Each of us have known our share of storms over the past two years. We've buried loved ones. We've lost jobs. We've had surgeries because of cancer and we've had surgeries to prevent cancer. We've sat with family members as they loved on their struggling teenagers. We've lost babies. We've seen marriage counselors. And we've sat with best friends as they grieved their loss. But through them all, although oftentimes, sometimes tempted to question ourselves asking the same question as the disciples do, if the Lord cares, we by God's grace press on in faith knowing that believers never walk through storms alone. We never walk through them without the Good Shepherd The good shepherd who neither slumbers nor sleeps, according to Psalm 121. The good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep and who was also powerful enough to take up his life again. And the good shepherd who with the power of his word, according to Colossians, created all that nature contains. And with that same powerful word, stood up in a boat and gave evidence that He holds the wild mane of nature in the tight grip of His hands. This is our Good Shepherd. Could it be, I ask the question rhetorically, but could it be that in those tragically difficult storms of life, when from the depths of our own hearts we we feel a need to wake the Savior up from what we perceive to be His lack of concern. That what's really going on is that He's actually blowing in the storm and causing storms and leading us through those same storms. As I've worked on this this week, it has landed kind of heavily upon my heart with an echo of a prayer that I'm just praying to the Lord. Lord, please help our faith in You to grow and produce in us the ability to rejoice, not for the storm, but in the midst of whatever storms we're experiencing. And in our suffering, may we know and rest in this, that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Let's close by looking back in on this story and see what happened. Verse 39. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. 
There's been a great storm. There's now a great calm. And there's about to be a great fear. And this time, it's not because of the waves. But it's because of their understanding and enlightenment into the fact that we are not in the boat with an ordinary man. We are in the presence of the holy. And when the holiness of Jesus is demonstrated by the articulation of peace even to the waters, His created recognize that He is God. However, the disciples had no way of knowing that while they were in the thick of it, that that was the case. But I offer to you, even in relation to the parables that we've just seen of His working His kingdom in us through the teachings and lessons we've seen in the parable, that that great storm was a vehicle for Him teaching them about God Himself and the power of God in their lives. I don't sign up for storms. But I need them. The storm, physical storm in this story, would prove to be essential to their future spiritual development. And this is the way it works. I would encourage you as you're considering this, and maybe you're in the midst of a storm of life as we speak. But believer, lean into your storms as the good gifts from God that they are not for the experience, but for what they produce. See and trust Jesus. Without difficulties, without trials, stresses, and even failures. And I realize that the absence of those things are the core of the prosperity gospel which is pervasive in our country. But without all of those things, we would never grow to be what we should become. Storms are part of the process of our spiritual growth. And I don't sign up for them, but I need them. In the midst of that boat, disciples assumed that He was not present. He wasn't sleeping to be nonchalant. He was sleeping because He was tired. And in His exhaustion, He knew that His future, which had been promised beforehand, was secure in the hands of His Father. And you and I, Kingdom citizens, recipients of this great good light who have been charged to not put the goodness of that light under the bed so it would burn the bed or under a bushel so that it might be hidden are encouraged to share it liberally that others might know a peace that passes understanding as people who live in a darkened world with need for a great light. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank You for Jesus. 
Thank you for our good shepherd. I'm hesitant to say this, Lord, but I want to mean it. Thank you for the storms in our life that you're using to bring about life change and more growing faith. That our faith is not in our ability, but in you, Jesus, who never leave us nor forsake us. And in the word that you would speak forth that we too stand upon. Well, we've sung songs about anchors. We've sung songs that communicate the the confidence that we have in the midst of difficult times that that peace transcend. But I realize that oftentimes we sing songs and our hearts need to catch up. So Lord, would you use this word and this teaching from your scripture uh, to do that very thing in our lives? Lord, I know that there, there may be people in this room who are still walking in darkness. They've never trusted in the finished work that you performed on the cross so that their sins might be forgiven as they place their faith in you, as they receive the forgiveness that is um, freely given as a result of the fact that you took our punishment. And Lord, that they might hear this message of good news and receive it for themselves as our prayer. That they would walk in darkness no longer. Lord, would you save those who are not saved this morning? Would you cause them to have ears to hear and a heart that's receptive to gospel truth? And may they be receptive to receive you as Lord and Savior. That's my prayer. But Lord, on the other side, I pray for those of us who know you, that you might work these truths into us and that you might remind us over and over and over and over again that we're not alone, that storms are for our good, and that in the midst of the storms, we can rely on you. You, our high priest, who can sympathize and empathize with our weaknesses. Lord, this is my prayer, and I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.